Mark Cuban. Going against the norm and, and looking for people who had great ideas is, is really what I look for as opposed to individuals mentoring me. David Stern. Thank you. Those are very kind and generous words. I greatly appreciate them, and thanks for having me on. Jeannie Buss. Thank you for having me. What a nice turnout. It's good to see everybody. Chris Everett. He was very interesting, and you asked great questions, so thank you very much, Brian. Damian Lillard. That was for Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> Maria Taylor. Oh, thanks, Brian. I appreciate it. And your preparation shows you. Tim Howard. Well, I appreciate you saying I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Just to name a few. Welcome to Sports Business Radio. Now, here's Brian Berger. Well, thanks for joining us on this edition of Sports Business Radio. Hope you're doing well and staying safe. Great show lined up for you today. Some really good insight. Jeff Curtin, longtime friend of mine, we came in as interns with the Portland Trailblazers back in 1992. Shows you how old I am. He's now the director of broadcasting for the Portland Trailblazers. He's going to join us, take us behind the scenes of the team's preparation to broadcast games remotely once NBA play resumes in Orlando in late July. How is the broadcast talent and tech staff preparing in Portland while working with the camera people and a lot of the world feed staff who are going to be on the ground in Orlando? A lot of Remote communications going to be necessary. There's also going to be some unique things about these broadcasts. We'll get a great behind-the-scenes look at NBA broadcasts on the restart from Jeff Curtin, Director of Broadcasting for the Portland Trailblazers. My other guest is Patty O'Cleary. He is the CEO of Baseline Performance Finance. They are a London-based company that provides insurance packages to the global sports market. We all remember... Wimbledon had paid $2 million a year for 17 years. So what is that? $34 million they had paid for pandemic insurance. And lo and behold, they were able to cash that in this year. One of the few events that had pandemic insurance. Really now every policy is on the table. So we'll talk to Patty O'Cleary about pandemic insurance and sports. Also some of the other offerings that they have. This week's edition of Sports Business Radio is presented by Mizzen and Maine, wrinkle-free, no-dry cleaning, and the most comfortable dress shirt, pant, and shorts I've ever worn. Head to MizzenandMaine.com, use the promo code SBR to get $10 off your next purchase. I'm joined by executive producer Brian Griggs. Griggs, how's it going? Doing good, and uh, love the show today, especially uh, with Jeff, you know, the behind-the-scenes of broadcasting, because sports has changed, as we've talked about, so it's interesting to see how... Uh, companies and entities are changing how they're broadcasting their platform. So excited for the show today. Great interviews. And then like the pandemic insurance, something that, you know, six months ago, no one even thought about. And now, hello, it's front and center. So it's a great show. There's going to be a lot of new normals coming up. And I think the two guests today give us a preview of what the new normals may look like. All right, Griggs, here's the updated calendar for return to sports because the NHL announced their return this week. So here it is. So the NWSL has already started. They started June 27th. They're playing in Utah. Uh, we've talked about their games. So that's underway. MLS, July 8th in Orlando. And Griggs, teams have already gotten to Orlando. FC Dallas has already had to withdraw because they had 10 positive COVID tests on their roster. Really decimated their team. So they've had to withdraw. The tournament will continue nonetheless. And it brings me to the question, Griggs, we talked about this with Keith Foreman last week. What will shut down one of these tournaments? What will shut down one of these return to plays? 
And obviously that wasn't enough to shut down the MLS is back tournament. But you have to wonder if two teams, three teams, four teams, what does it take to shut down one of the tournaments? What would you do? Yeah, it's uh, it's just so interesting and so fluid. I mean, it's literally every day you're you're hearing different, you know, like we heard with MLS in the bubble, even getting COVID and and shutting down a team. But yeah, what does it take? And every team, every sport entity is different. Like you know, a different amount of players. You can still play with a certain amount of players. So maybe if half the team gets sick, you can still play. It's just so many different things. I don't know what's going to cost you to shut it down. I would assume like an MLS would be three or four teams that have to pull out. Obviously, then you can't play. It's just interesting because if you go back to the genesis of this, it was a positive test from Rudy Gobert. I mean, that's really what shut it down. It was one player. So now we're seeing, you know, the Orlando pride of the NWSL, the FC Dallas team from MLS. The whole team has to withdraw, and that's still not shutting it down. So it's going to be interesting to see. We saw the Milwaukee Bucks shut down their training facility this week. To me, if you can't have – the Milwaukee Bucks, who have the best record in the NBA, play in your tournament, your return to play, that's when you have to shut it down. Now, we don't know how many positive tests the Bucks had, who tested positive, was it Giannis, was it someone else? But when you start getting into those upper echelon teams, the Clippers shut down their facility a few weeks ago. You can't really have competitive balance if you had a team who posted a 53-12 and 12 record, and then you go, well... I guess they're out of luck. Boy, the Lakers are looking really good for the title right now. Like, you just can't do that. Yeah, it doesn't work when the, the underdog swoops in because there's nobody in front of them and wins the tournament. That doesn't make sense. And you're right. Uh, what, what causes you to shut it down? And, and also, like you're saying with the NBA, uh, when this team can't practice now or this team can't practice now, how does that work when other teams are still practicing? It doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem fair. So, yeah, I, I don't know who's going to finish. The competitive balance. Uh, Major League Baseball returns on July 23rd. They've had an interesting week. So David Price, pitcher for the L.A. Dodgers, acquired by the Boston Red Sox. We could probably do an entire show on just his contract. But reportedly, the Red Sox and the Dodgers were splitting his $11 million that he was going to be owed for the remainder of this season. He decided to opt out. So, Griggs, he leaves $11 million on the table. If that doesn't tell you the seriousness and the concerns that some of these players have about returning to play – I don't know what does because 11 million bucks, I don't care who you are. That's a lot of money to leave on the table for a given season. The Washington Nationals and Houston Astros both shut down their workouts this week because of a lack of testing and test results. So, you know, Major League Baseball says it's going to be a fine-tuned machine. They put out a press release after these stories were uh, coming out about the Nationals and the Astros shutting down their workouts. But they're not getting the results back. So if you don't get the results back, you don't know who in your training facility has COVID and who doesn't. So how do you separate people and isolate people? That has to be the concern number one, is if you're not getting the testing results that you need on a timely basis, then you really can't trace who has it and who doesn't. And then Chris Bryant, star of the Cubs and you know former MVP, he said, I wanted to play this year because I thought it would be safe. Honestly, I don't feel that. I don't really feel that. So now he's saying he doesn't feel safe. That was something that made a headline this week. It's going to be interesting, Griggs, because, you know, as we've said on this show, Major League Baseball has the probably the worst return to play strategy of all because you're getting on airplanes, you're staying in hotels, you're not in a bubble. I don't know. I, you know, we said last week on the show with Keith Foreman, a lot of these leagues are going to start. Are they going to finish? 
We'll find out. So WNBA moves on. Uh, they start July 24th. NBA starts July 30th. Teams are traveling there this week. So they're all going to enter the bubble this week. And then the NHL announced this week that they are going to start August 1st. And congrats to the NHL. They really showed everyone how to do it. They announced their return to play. They haven't announced the venues yet, but they also announced at the same time that they have a new labor agreement between the owners and the players. So everything got negotiated behind the scenes. Nothing was drawn out in the media. And boom, they got a new agreement moving forward. That's how you do it, Griggs. Yeah, I was impressed with the NHL, too. I like how they just kind of was, like you said, behind the scenes. You didn't even know what was going on. All of a sudden, here we're back. We've got a new deal. Players are going to be happy about it, and let's hit the ice. I'm curious to see how they do it with venues and if they're going to do bubble or travel. I'm uh, going to be watching that this week. It sounds like they're going to have two bubble locations, and as we said last week, I think they've played this really smart because whereas the NBA and MLS and WNBA announced early on that they were going to Florida, and now Florida is one of the hot COVID spots in the world. NHL has kind of left their options open because they haven't announced where they're going to be. So, you know, they could really wait until the last second. If you're not starting till August 1st, maybe you announce that week before, hey, here's the two locations that we're sending our teams to to be in the bubble. And, you know, I've been saying, like, teams should be going to Montana or Wyoming or places like that where there's very low number of of COVID cases. Uh, You know, we see... Arizona and Texas and Florida, high number of cases, and, and a lot of activity is going to be taking place there. Our last headline of the week, Griggs, this is a huge one, and I love it. Patrick Mahomes, you know, just one of the bright athletes in all of sports, really has become the face of the NFL, won his first Super Bowl title this past, uh, what was it, February with the Kansas City Chiefs. He signs a 10-year extension with the Kansas City Chiefs, so he's got two years left on his current deal, 10-year extension, 12 years total. The new deal is worth an estimated $503 million. Now, he's got to reach a bunch of different incentive levels to get to that $503 million, but that's what it is. If he gets to the $503 million, it becomes the richest contract in North American sports history. Mike Trout has more guaranteed money. You know, people say, oh, football players get hurt all the time. So uh, about $150 million of this contract is guaranteed to Mahomes. Bottom line, Griggs, he's going to be in Kansas City for a long time. He is with a great coach in Andy Reid, a great organization, has a great GM. They can build around him. And this would be, to me, Griggs, like if you knew Tom Brady was going to be Tom Brady when he was 24 years old, you lock him up, right? Don't you say, we want this guy with our franchise for most of his meaningful years of his career. Well, that's what Kansas City's doing here, and I think it's really smart. Very smart. And like you said, it couldn't happen to a better guy. He's so likable. He's so energetic. He just, he is the NFL right now, and everybody loves his play. He makes the game exciting. Uh, he's fun to watch, and he's having fun with it. And you can tell he loves what he's doing, and he's going to get rewarded for it. So I'm totally pumped. I love it. I think it's a great deal. Good, good smart move by KC. All right, coming up next, Jeff Curtin, the director of broadcasting for the Portland Trailblazers. How are NBA broadcasts going to look inside the bubble? How are they going to work remotely? Because you're going to have the home team broadcasters in their home city, in their home studios, and then they're going to get a world feed from Orlando. It's going to be interesting, flying a little bit blind in some capacity, but Jeff Curtin is going to give us a preview of what that's going to look like. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. 
If you're working from home now like I am, you still need to look professional. Many of us are doing Zoom conferences or FaceTime calls with business associates. That's why I turn to my mizzen and main dress shirts. I need to look good from the waist up, but I also want to be comfortable. Mizzen and main is like athletic wear disguised as a dress shirt, making them great for comfort while working from home. It's a shirt that has worked for thousands of customers, including hundreds of professional athletes like J.J. Watt and Phil Mickelson. Head on over to MizzenAndMain.com and use promo code SBR to get $10 off your dress shirt. That's MizzenAndMain.com code SBR. Guess what? Mizzen and Main also makes super comfortable wrinkle-free pants and shorts, so you can check those out as well. Head on over to MizzenAndMain.com, use promo code SBR to get $10 off your next purchase. That's MizzenAndMain.com, code SBR. My guest is Jeff Curtin. He is the director of broadcasting for the NBA's Portland Trailblazers. Jeff and I were interns with Blazer Broadcasting back in 1992. We've known each other forever. He's gone on to big things with uh, the Blazers and the Olympics and many other things. Jeff, thanks for joining me on Sports Business Radio. How are you? Uh, good, Brian. Thanks for uh, having me. Yeah, I wanted to have you on because of the bubble that's coming up and this is going to be so different from a broadcast standpoint than a typical season or playoff run. You're going to be in Portland, Oregon while the games are going to be taking place in Orlando, Florida at Disney world. So I wanted to go through, you know, have us, have you take us behind the scenes a little bit? Like what is this going to be like? Cause it's really unprecedented. Yeah, it really is. I mean, it's something new for my team and myself. We've never done this before. So, um, I mean, we have obviously a lot of concerns, um, how it will come across on TV and radio. Um, some of the technical challenges we're going to be faced. Uh, I think the NBA has set up a great plan for all the teams and the RSNs and the broadcasters. Um, but yeah, it's really new territory. And there's, like you said, there's, there's lots of issues that we've been working through the last couple of weeks with, with our team. So let's work through some of the logistics here. On the TV side, there's going to be a world feed. So typically, you would have a road game and or a home game, and you'd have your own crew. You'd have your own cameras. You can go to your camera guys or women whenever you need yeah. to. But now you're going to be limited in that capacity to a world feed, right? Yeah, exactly. So on the TV side, <clears throat> they're going to get us a feed that's clean with no graphics, um, and they've also actually allowed each uh, team to have a, a local camera operator there that we'll be able to be on headset with. So I will be able to be having one camera person that I can help focus on our stories of the Trailblazers. Uh, but then this world feed will come back to um, our studios. We'll insert the graphics and announcers, uh, and no one will be on site. Um, so the challenge, at least for the TV, is like we're limited to what – the director and producer on site is kind of telling for the story. So what shots they're getting, what replays they're doing. Um, so we're just kind of following along on that. Now, the end had a benefit that the NBA, um, I think, is just head and shoulders above other team leagues. They're giving us this camera up here. So I can have someone go look at our coach or shoot someone that's coming in on a substitution, some other stories that maybe our announcers want to talk about. Um, and then on the radio side, we'll just get an audio feed and our radio broadcasters will be in Portland calling it off a monitor with a couple different monitors in front of them. 
some laptops with stats uh, and information uh, provided by the NBA as well on the courts, courtside app. Um, but that's kind of really the, how the layout is going to be for uh, for our TV and radio broadcasts. Now, I'm reading that every NBA team, every NHL team, probably every MLS team, and anyone who's in you know, play this month, everyone's sending at least one social media person inside the bubble. I'm assuming Amora Baptist from your team is going to be inside the bubble. Is there any way that you can utilize her since she's going to be on the ground for your TV or radio broadcast? Yep, for sure. Uh, Mara travels with us, so she's well experienced at this, um, and she'll be our only kind of representative um, to help get some stories and images, um, videos potentially. We're not sure exactly what kind of access she's going to be able to get, but yeah, we're definitely counting on uh, her to provide us some great content for both TV and radio. Um, I'm assuming the league will also have some video and photos available to all the teams to use. Um, but again, it's those stories that we're really going to miss. Um, I think everyone can kind of understand that not having your announcers there or having your courtside reporter there just for conversations with players or team coaches, trainers, you know, all those just to get mind little stories that we tell throughout the broadcast, we're just not going to have. Right. Um, and it's really going to be challenging. You know, we'll be leaning on social media, the uh, 10 or so uh, national reporters that will be there. You know, we'll be mining their Twitter feeds throughout the, the game, our games, the weeks. So, yeah, that's our challenge. But, um, yeah, Amara, any personnel, coaches, our PR person there, any access we can get, we're, we're looking for. Because of the fact that you're not going to be in Orlando, will you have access to players and coaches via Zoom, for instance? If they're sitting in their hotel room, can you do, you know, the pregame show or the postgame show via Zoom and, and put that in the can and integrate it into the broadcast? Or are they saying, hey, just no access, period? Yeah, what we've been told is, is the league's going to have some Zoom stations on practice and shoot arounds, uh, and also have some immediately after the game for players' reaction. But besides that, that's open to all the media. You know, as a team, as a team broadcaster, we're looking for that next step access. So, right. Right. Damian Lillard in his hotel, uh, our courtside reporter, Brooke, she has great relationship with all the players and coaches. So she'll be texting people, bugging, hey, can I do a Zoom interview for our pregame show? Uh, our radio team will be doing the same, Travis and Coach Stotts. Hopefully get, you know, our normal coach one-on-one interview. Uh, I think we're talking about doing it with coach in his hotel room, you know, a couple hours before the game. So, yeah, that, those direct connections and working with Jim Taylor, our PR uh, director, you know, he's going to be, you know, help facilitating some of that. So besides the league kind of media availability, we're obviously looking to get continue that that player and team access that, that we kind of normally get. It'll be different, but, like, we need that for our stories. All right, walk me through command center at Moda Center in Portland. It's a game day. Some of these games are going to be taking place at like 10 in the morning Pacific time. Yeah, right, exactly. They'll be <laughs> How, breakfast with the Blazers. Right. How early are you going to be getting in there? How early does the crew get in there? How many people are going to be in the command center? Because it's COVID, you know, you probably have to space out a little bit. Give me the setup. Yeah, so, right, we've got some procedures, um, and it's going to be really strict. You know, we, we want to make sure everybody's safe and feels uh, in a good work environment. So uh, the crew's going to be a lot smaller than we normally uh, do. 
obviously not having all all the cameras, we don't need as as big a crew. But um, you know, we'll have two control rooms. We've spread out the employees kind of throughout the facility, um, and we're going to do um, some plexiglass, which I think you know people have seen in other mobile units and other tight kind of control room areas. Obviously, everyone will be wearing a mask, um, and the radio uh, team will kind of be in the arena, actually, is our current plan, uh, at their normal position. Probably turn on the video board in the arena, and they can call it off that. We'll have multiple monitors. That's really cool, actually. Yeah, so we thought it'd be fun. Travis and Michael was like, well, why don't we just go to our normal place? And I was like, that's a fantastic idea. <laughs> we're, already, we're already pre-cabled there. We know everything works. Um, the pregame show, actually, we have a nice set we use on the concourse. We're actually just going to continue that. Um, Toyota will be able to bring up a car like they normally do. There won't be fans behind them on the concourse, but everyone realizes the situation we're in. Um, and then we'll use the TV studio where we have some really good monitors and technology for the announcers to call the game. Like that's our most important thing is being able that everyone can see the game, have enough laptops, enough information right in front of them since they're going to kind of feel a little removed uh, and it'll be a different experience for the announcers. Do you guys do a dry run before the first? I mean, you know, look, I know sometimes at the beginning of a season, just to shake off some of the cobwebs, you might do a dry oh, yeah. run. This is going to be completely different again. Do you guys do a dry run on this? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We want to do rehearsals with all the talent. We, not only for them, but for us more on the technical side. Right. We want to make sure we, they're seeing things. We're getting feeds from Orlando. Uh, communication is working. The facility hasn't been running for four months. <laughs> uh, we want to make sure that we're getting like clock data, score, uh, all that coming from Orlando, right? All our other feeds. Uh, the NBA is providing a, a really good kind of complement of not only camera feeds, uh, some other wide shots so the announcers can see a lock off camera of the benches of who's checking in or any conversations that's happening. So just so the announcers have a little bit of a feel that they're there and that they, uh, you know, continue to tell the stories of the game. The question everyone wants to know is since there's going to be no fans, there's going to be no, you know, noise in that arena. Are any of the coaches, players, going to be mic'd up. Are there any different camera angles? Like what are the, the different and new innovations that may be tried out during this weird time? Yeah. The, um, the NBA and the, and ESPN and TNT, I think they're, I've seen a camera plot and they've got some new camera angles, which is fantastic. in uh, the larger arena, um, the other two arenas probably will be a little smaller camera complement. Um, I don't know if they're actually going to mic up players because I don't think we actually need it. <laughs> I think we're going to be able to hear enough kind of talking, uh, which is fantastic. You know, I think fans have loved the mic'd up uh, segments that we've and other networks do. Um, so I think that will be great. Uh, I'm not sure about uh, the crowd noise. You know, we've seen other leagues, you know, put up just maybe a little buzz of noise. I think it's just kind of what you need. I love some of the technology that I've seen of uh, fans interacting and be able to, on an app, push buttons and make things go louder and cheer, boom. Mm. Um, I'm not sure what they're going to uh, actually use. I know they've talked about it and they're looking into it. Um, some of our calls, the league's also looking at uh, video screens and having Zooms of the home team fans be involved in the arena. So, right. Like, I think that's really cool. 
Uh, I'm not sure what they've decided on the, you know, crowd noise, where, where they've landed on that. So I'm listening to an interview with Zach Collins of the Blazers the other day. He's a pretty intense dude. And, mm-hmm. uh, he said there might be some cursing on the court from him. And, <laughs> you know, again, because there's no crowd noise, you can't really block that out. Are you, do you guys run on a delay? I would imagine a few seconds at least. Yeah, yeah. Well, normally we don't as a team in the regular season, but because of this, like you just said, with the with the lack of crowd noise, and I think we're going to be hearing a lot more than yeah. we maybe want to hear. Uh, we are all the RSNs are mandated to have a seven second delay, um, so we're creating a system and an operator to just be listening for that and hit the button when you hear something. So yeah, they're concerned about it, um, and. We'll, we'll see how it goes, but uh, definitely a, a delay is, is going to have to happen. So all in all, uh, going back to you know your game day setup at Moda Center for TV and radio, how many people? Are we talking like 15 people, 20 people? How many people does it take to put this on? Yeah, our list I think is about 20, 24 right now. Um, you know, most of it is on the TV side. Uh, the radio team is about six people. A couple of folks are going to be calling in remotely, uh, some of our stats and researchers that we have. So they'll just be dialing in on a conference call so the announcers can hear them. Uh, and then there's the replay, replay folks, graphics people, uh, small pregame crew up on the, the concourse, uh, camera operator here and there. So it's, and then producer, directors, audio folks. So it's, yeah, it's kind of the full complement. Uh, it's, it's a lot of people, uh, for just a world feed broadcast. Right. And then how do you interact with the world feed folks in Orlando so that you're on the same page and they kind of know, you know, where you want to go with your broadcast? Yeah, they will be providing teams, which is really important, a hot mic of uh, an AD, an assistant director or the director uh, who's actually calling the game. So, you know, kind of camera shots they're going to and where they're going to. And the AD would be talking about maybe a highlight package or any kind of storylines that the producer on site is talking about. And then we're able to quickly tell our announcers, hey, they're going to highlight Damian Lillard next. And that will be able to lead them into that story. And if we can help build a full page graphic that is blazerized and with our blazer partner on logo on it. Uh, be able to kind of seamlessly work all that in. So we'll be able to hear some things, uh, which will definitely help. So I want to go into a little bit of the business of, of, you know, NBA broadcasts for a minute. So you have an RSN and it's NBC Sports Northwest. You have a partnership with them. I think you have to deliver a, a you know, minimum number of games with them. But in yep. this relationship, you know, all the games are going to be on ESPN and TNT, but they're also going to be on the RSN and that's where you guys come in. Um, maybe talk a little bit about how you work with them on this. Cause again, some of these games are at like 10 in the morning. Are they going to re air them in prime time? How does that all work? Yeah. So definitely conversations, a weekly call, call we have with NBC to, to talk through this restart um, schedules, how that happens. They will also do a pregame show before our pregame show. Um, so some of those will be very early in the morning, um, work through, like you said, the rebroadcast. If we have an early game, I'm, they're going to rebroadcast it later that night in prime time for people that missed it. Uh, we've been having conversations on content. Um, how do we share content, uh, highlights? We'll be able to get highlights, uh, that don't necessarily make the broadcast. They'll be on a, uh, website 
and sharing those clips with them. Anything we can get with Amara also on, on site down there they need. So we're, we definitely have a good relationship with them. And I mean, it's crucial to, to have that partner. Uh, you know, they're the, they're our main, uh, broadcast partner here in Portland. So uh, yeah, it's very important to us. I'm just, you know, I've been thinking so much more about when I've re- read about, uh, the social media people that are going into the bubble. Their jobs are so important right now because in a lot of cases, you know, most teams are sending one PR person and one social media person. So that social media person has to be able to take pictures, shoot video, edit, tell a story on a number of levels. It's just a really interesting time right now to be a social media person for a team in U.S. pro sports. Exactly. I mean, being able to have have that – kind of expertise on, like you said, editing and interviews, uh, besides the normal photos of arrivals, uh, and gifts and stuff like that, it's going to be content, more sound bites, uh, behind the scenes stuff. And I, I wouldn't be, you know, surprised if we kind of expand that in the winter, uh, to two or three, uh, you know, if we don't have broadcasters traveling in the future, like what's that going to look like? Um, if it's PR people grabbing their phone and shooting photos, I mean, it's it's really all hands on deck, I think. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I know you and I have talked about that offline, and I've talked to a number of different teams. I think one of the things that could change in the future, at least for the next year or two, is that the locker rooms and the access to the players and coaches are going to be really limited to essential personnel just because – they want to stop the spread of, of COVID. And, yeah, you know, the yeah. more people you have in a locker room, the more chance there is for a player or a coach to, to get COVID or even someone in that locker room. So when you look at shutting things down, you look at, well, does the broadcast crew have to s- travel separately commercially or do they just go to what could become the new norm of you're broadcasting like this remotely. So maybe what you're doing right now might turn out to be the way it is in the future. Um, yeah, I mean, possibly, I mean, I could definitely, you know, definitely media access in locker rooms won't be happening in the future. Um, more podium press conferences are the new norm. Um, but again, that kind of goes back to what I said at the very beginning. It's like the access for the broadcasters to get their stories right. is what's concerning to, us broadcast <laughs> sure um you know it's it's being able how, how do you find those and have people how do you have conversations with with your athletes um and and how do you you know all the media is is you know dealing with this issue now um but yeah it's definitely a concern we, we you know my broadcasters talk to me about it on a, on a weekly daily basis yeah um, i think it's why the relationship with the PR person, in this case, Jim Taylor, who we both know and, and love and, and, you know, JT have known him for as many years as I've known you and he's, he's one of the best. But then also, you know, you mentioned earlier, Brooke Oldendam, your sideline reporter, is able to text or pick up the phone to a number of the players because she has great relationships with them. I think those are going to become really valuable assets in the future. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, it's all about relationships and athletes trusting media folks, broadcasters, uh, with their stories. Um, you know, we've had an advantage as being team broadcasters to be able to travel with the team and in at hotels late at night, um, just being around and being, getting that trust and relationship built up. Now, if that will seem definitely be a change in the future, 
Um, and that's going to change our, our business um, for sure. And it, it's it's a little concerning. Yeah, it is. But, you know, I think for right now, it's just like get through the time being, figure sure. that out. And then once we get past that, hopefully then we can figure out what, like what the new normal looks like. But I think, you know, as we've discussed and many others have discussed – it's much like after 9-11. There's going to be a hard reset on a number of things going forward in sports altogether. And, and you know, this part of it is is probably one of the things that's going to have a hard reset. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, these games in Orlando, we're just we're just getting it together, putting our heads down, get these broadcasts on the air uh, the best we can. And, and like you said, with the access with Amara uh, and, and Jim, just being able to – get through these and then see what next season looks like for sure. I want to pick your brain on something else. Cause you know, you've done a number of world-class events in your uh, lifetime. And you know, one of the things you've worked a lot of is the Olympics and mm-hmm. uh, specifically swimming and like the pool cameras and, and things like that. Maybe you could just talk for a minute about like, what is it like working the Olympics and I've been to one and, you know, interned with CBS and the command center and the number of different people to put on the Olympics. We know it's not going to happen this year. They're hoping they can pull it off next year, but that is such a massive undertaking. And you were there for what a month or so putting that on. Yeah. Yeah. No, the Olympics, it was, that was a really great kind of um, challenge in my career. Um, Which one was it? Well, I, I've been to a couple. I, I was able early in my career to, to get into especially uh, camera kind of niche with Fletcher Chicago, um, and you know we were doing specialty cameras under the um, under the water or little POV cameras, um, and so I got to go to the uh, Atlanta Olympics, okay, uh, Sydney, and Greece. Wow. For all, so three summer Olympics, um, and it was just a blast to just to be with that large of a scale. Uh, to put on so many different sports with so many world feeds. And, uh, I mean, it's just a massive undertaking. Um, and to do these little specialty cameras was really kind of fun and challenging. Um, I love kind of the challenge of, of, you know, the broadcast one hit a camera on the top of the pole vault. So how do you rig up a little camera to see right at the top of the pole when the vaulter would go over, right? So you'd find these little cameras. Now, again, that was, you know, 15, 20 years ago, technology has changed over time. So it's cameras now are kind of everywhere. They're in race cars and they're, you know, in drones flying over tracks. Um, but back then it was, it was really kind of fun to kind of rig up something. We were just kind of, it was all just evolving. Uh, you know, every four years it was a new kind of camera system. So, um, that was a really fun challenge in my career. And, um, I, I don't do that anymore, but it was, uh, yeah, it was definitely an experience just to see the, the scale uh, of what it takes to put on Olympics on a, from just a broadcast uh, uh, industry. The thing I respect about Jeff so much, I've told him this before, is you know he came in as an intern just like I did, started at the the very bottom of Blazer mm-hmm. Broadcasting, and you've done basically every job you can do on your way up to director of broadcasting for the Trailblazers. So when people, you know, are are directed by you, your staff, they know that you've worn their shoes before. Yeah, I mean, thanks. Uh, I agree. I, th- I think it's important. Um, it, it was starting as an intern. I was just so excited to get in with the Trailblazers and just the willingness to do anything. Let me learn. What is that? Uh, can I help you with that? 
uh, show up early, uh, you know, work for free. Like I, th- I think just starting having that attitude really helped me. Uh, and then just kind of people see your work ethic and, oh, I want to work with Jeff. Call Jeff. He'll come on that shoot. Um, and then it just kind of evolved. Uh, and it's, it's been fun just for me personally, just to do everything, low lighting, audio, low graphics, run the, run camera, uh, just being able to kind of work in all the departments of broadcasting. Yeah. Uh, has definitely kind of helped me, like you said, now running the department where it's like I can just go have quick one-on-ones with employees and go, hey, understand, I got you. That cable needs to come out of the steel like that, right? It's, you know, just kind of understand their challenges right. of just little work things every day. Well, and budgets too. I mean, that's a big part of what you do. And because you know what things cost and you know how things work, like mm-hmm. that's a big thing to understand as well. Yeah, right. Um how many people do you need? Do you need that extra camera look? Uh, do we need an extra day of setup or rehearsals? Kind of understanding everyone's challenges in their own kind of technical department uh, and being able to, 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 to put a budget together that, uh, that's, you know, responsible, uh, yet what needs to happen uh, for the broadcast to come off. So when I was with you, and I think we may have taken turns doing this, I definitely remember this was part of my job as an intern with the Blazers. So this is back in 1992 when I started. One of my jobs was to call Paul Allen, the late Paul Allen, the owner of the Blazers, and give him the satellite coordinates wherever he was in the world for the game that night. And I was always right. surprised at like a lot of times I would think someone who works for him is going to answer the phone and pass along the coordinates to Paul Allen. But it was Paul Allen who answered the phone. He was thrilled to get the coordinates. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So my point is this. He loved the Blazers. He traveled all over the world. He'd be at the bottom of the ocean in his submarine, and he still wanted to watch Blazer games. What's the craziest thing that you remember where he's like, well, this game isn't being broadcast, but I'll pay a hundred thousand dollars to be able to watch it on my submarine. Like, what's the craziest yeah. Paul Allen story where they're like, just get it done so he can watch the game? Yeah, well, I'm glad you brought it, Mr. Allen because I I think that was key in our department for sure, if not the whole Trailblazer franchise. But his passion for technology and to make the broadcast better. Um, he wanted to watch every game. He didn't live in Portland, but he wherever he was in the world, he wanted to see it. Um, and I remember exactly what you're saying. Um, uh, our engineers booking satellite time and satellite trucks, uh, and technology to get them the games, uh, and then sending them the satellite coordinates. Um, I mean, I think it's just, I don't know if I have any crazy stories other than he, he was all over the world. He was in Africa, uh, and we had to get him the satellite feed. And I know Mike, uh, our engineer had multiple challenges on, on getting something local there to receive the signal. Uh, but the, the, the passion of just being able to watch your favorite team uh, was fantastic. And uh, he, he provided us a lot of resources and then kind of where we are now uh, still kind of leading that charge of keeping ahead in technology has, has been great. All right. Last question for you. I'm anointing you right now. The czar of broadcasting for all of sports, not just the Blazers, but any sport, any network, what are the innovations? Like, I'm sure you, like me, sit and watch things on TV and you're like, man, I want to see more of that or I want to see an angle on that. Like, I really like the drones. I love how NASCAR is using the drones right Mm -hmm. now. I think that's been a brilliant innovation as to how those have been 
integrated into broadcast, but is there something that you look at and you go, all right, if I was in charge of that, no matter what the cost, that's something we'd be implementing into the broadcast. Yeah, I mean, there's so many, Brian. I mean, I, just from a kind of specialty camera uh, background, I mean, I do love all the, the point of view cameras. Um, we've at Summer League demoed with the NBA a couple uh, ref cameras and potential player wearing cameras. Uh, but I think it's kind of next level now, if you're talking about the future, where it's it's more uh, AR, just graphics, where you can really be Damian Lillard, um, either wearing goggles or not. And you can see from his point of view who he sees, how lanes open up, uh, and just really kind of that next level of kind of 3D graphics uh, and video games and gaming. Uh, and then with that view, see statistical information um, and all that um, info as a viewer, I think would be just fantastic. Jeff Curtin, Director of Broadcasting for the Portland Trailblazers. Follow him on Twitter. Good follow on Twitter. At Jeff underscore Curtin, C-U-R-T-I-N. My good friend, my paddleboarding buddy, uh, we go way back. You do a great job, and uh, I know you're up to the challenge. This is a new one for you. Uh, It is. It is. My team's excited to get back to doing games uh, from Orlando, and uh, we should revisit this conversation uh, to see how it went. (laughs) Yeah, let's let's definitely do that. I'd love to have you on whenever the run is over. And have some best practices, reflections, and, and things of that nature. I think our audience would find that interesting. What worked and what didn't work. Yeah, exactly. Love to do it, Brad. All right. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hey, everyone. I'm thrilled to tell you about a new Sports Business Radio partner who's going to help you and whose products have been life-changing for me and my family. CBDMD is now the official CBD partner of Sports Business Radio. Many people use CBD products as a regular part of their health and wellness routines, but only the best use superior products from CBDMD. CBDMD has a wide variety of CBD oil products ranging from classic CBD oil tinctures to topicals, gummies, heck, they even have CBD for your pets. From NFL veterans like Nate Burleson and future Hall of Famer Steve Smith Sr. to two-time Masters champion Bubba Watson, CBDMD is tested and trusted by people who know pain. And the best part? All CBDMD products are THC-free. That was important for me. Third-party tested and backed by a 60-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. Look, these are anxious times for many of us right now. We're not sleeping nearly as well. I tried CBDMD's award-winning CBD PM Drops, and I now sleep through the night. My daughter loves CBDMD's Revive Moisturizing Lotion and the CBDMD Freeze Pain Roller for her aches and pains from playing sports. And our dog loves the CBDMD Soft Shoes. And because the products are all THC-free, CBDMD is safe for our family. Dozens of companies have sent me CBD product to try over the years, but none come close to the superior quality of CBDMD. Sleep better, relieve your aches and pains, Give your pets treats that they will love. And to make it even easier to see what CBD can do for you, CBDMD is offering all of our listeners 25% off your order when you use the promo code SBR at checkout. Once again, go to CBDMD.com and use promo code SBR at checkout to save 25% on your purchase of superior CBD oil products 
from CBDMD. Again, CBDMD.com. Use the promo code SBR at checkout and save 25%. Thank me later. My guest is Patty O'Cleary. He is the CEO for Baseline Performance Finance. Baseline Performance is a London-based company that provides insurance packages to the global sports market. You can find them online at baseline-performance.com. You can find Patty on Twitter at Patty O'Cleary. Patty, thanks for joining me on Sports Business Radio. How are you? I'm very good, Brian. Thank you for having me on the show. So your industry has really changed in the last uh, several months. Why don't you start off by telling us about baseline performance, who's involved, because you've got some really noteworthy executives working with you, and then we can get into the conversation about how things have really changed since this pandemic hit in March. Well, that's right. I mean, the world has changed, as we all know, but certainly in the world of sport, it's changed more than most. Uh, baseline was set up at the beginning of this year with a fantastic team. Many of your uh, listeners will know, all know about uh, Steve Miller, who's our chairman. He was um, uh, working at Nike, Global Sports Marketing, at the Sydney Olympics, for example. He was uh, on the board of U.S. Track and Field, and he's currently the chief executive of the Andre Agassi and the Steffi Graf Holdings. Uh, so, you know, he's a he's a sports industry legend, as well as a, a incredibly uh, a well um, thought of sports professional. He's joined by uh, Mike Nakajima, who, who many of you will know as well from the Nike days where he was head of tennis, looking after athletes, management companies, and the uh, and the uh, contracts themselves. And Ian Hamilton is another one of our uh, founding directors, 17 years with Nike, currently running the uh, U.S. sports camps for the group. And uh, his commercial acumen and industry connections uh, are second to none as well. And we've built up a partner program as well with uh, sports professionals, uh, dotted mostly in the North of North American field, but across Europe as well. And uh, we started baseline, Brian, much more in line with the idea of how to enhance uh, sports contracts and how to how to look at the world of insurance and underwriting, not as something that just protects people, but actually could enhance the value of a contract, could uh, bring a challenger brand up to a higher level to attract a better quality talent. Uh, to look at a team and manage what their motivations were and try and blend in underwritten hyper-bonuses, as we call them, into their contracts. So it was flipping the world of insurance in the other way around. Instead of it seeing as something to protect you against a rainy day, it was to, to look at it and say, well, here's something that actually can add an enormous amount more value to it. So based in London, as I am, uh, that's the world's capital of uh, insurance and underwriting through Lloyd's London. So we've got that gilt-edged uh, uh, underwriting from that. And then we've got this incredible sports knowledge that the team has brought in because I think there was a disconnect between the world of sport and what it was trying to do and what underwriting and insurance could actually provide them. And that's why Baseline was set up to bridge those two uh, uh, parts of the, of the sport world. Since the pandemic hit in March, the event that seems to have gotten the most publicity about having pandemic insurance was Wimbledon. So Wimbledon was paying approximately $2 million a year, I guess, for their policy. And of course, when they had to cancel earlier this year, they were able to receive a payout for about half of the expected $300 million revenue expected for the 2020 tourney. A lot of people 
you know, in the past have laughed at pandemic insurance or laughed at, you know, force majeure language in a contract, but I don't think they're going to be laughing anymore, are they? They're definitely not going to be laughing. There's some very intelligent and clever people who were concerned around SARS, if you remember back in 2004, which is why Wimbledon first investigated and tried to understand what their coverage was going to be if there was a pandemic or a reason to cancel that were outside of the norms. So they took out communicable disease cover, uh, allegedly and reportedly uh, costing $2 million per year. It's not as straightforward as just the insurance companies then pay out because what, what actually happened with Wimbledon is you have to go and justify all the expenditure that they've had up to that point of really nearly opening the, the tournaments uh, through to um, uh, stopping any ongoing works, etc. And it takes a number of months to actually get the final claim. But it does look like they will have insurance cover of more than $100 million coming back into the tournament, which is great for tennis and great for Wimbledon. Uh, next year, however, I think it will be more difficult for them to try and achieve that cover because now, as we know, the world of sport has been really badly hit by uh, leagues that have been unable to fulfill for sponsors who are not necessarily getting the coverage they want. And we can see we're only at the beginning of what the potential damage it could be to the world of sport. So that's on the event side. Uh, what about if a team owner, a team governor came to you or a player's union comes to you and they say, hey, Patty, we want to protect ourselves against anything like this in the future. Is that something that you guys are able to help with? It certainly is. I mean, we're bound by very strict guidelines around who we can actually talk about. So I'll talk in general terms, but there are a number of federations and team sports as well as individual sports where we're looking at how to cover the uh, eventuality that not only are you potentially injured, which is your traditional type of insurance, but actually what baseline is about is about much more creative and innovative approaches. So what we're trying to do is find ways to cover uh, athletes who can perform through not uh, things of their own choice. You know, that, say, for example, there's a local lockdown, which there is in parts of the United Kingdom, parts of the uh, United States and Germany and, and places at the moment. And if you're sitting there unable to perform, but the tournament is going ahead or the league is going ahead, could you get cover for that? And we're, we've investigated that with the underwriting markets, and we believe that we can do that. We can also help and protect the idea that a league could get cancelled. So if it was you know, through uh, another spike or another type of, uh, of serious event. Um, it's the idea that an incomplete league or an incomplete uh, uh, tournament, uh, could we look at ways of making sure that we can protect the athletes? And it's, uh, you know, if you're, you must, there must be a lot of team owners, a lot of uh, franchise owners, a lot of athletes themselves who must be deeply concerned about what the next year is going to hold. I, and I said earlier, we're at the very start of the uh, problems, the financial issues, but trickle-down effect from you know, a broadcaster not uh, paying because the league didn't finish its uh, its, um, uh, whole, its whole season. That goes on to next year when the sponsors are less in demand because they're, they're, they're retreating because they've so lost less products. And the trickle-down effect just has gone on and on and on. And then to your third and fourth tier sports, which I believe will really suffer uh, in, the, in the coming uh, years. And, and that sounds a very bleak picture, but what we're trying to do here at Baseline is, is something for the good of sport, which is actually trying to enhance the value of that. So if the uh, contract is getting diminished, are there ways that we could actually enhance it by underwriting hyper bonuses? So in other words, looking at the performance side of the, of the payout for the, for, the, uh, for the athlete or the team when they achieve success, 
being greater than it was before. And if you can do that, you can underwrite that. It becomes cheaper for the sponsor or the broadcaster or whoever it may be. And it has a knock-on effect going up the other way. So we're trying to, trying to increase the value. So that's what we're trying to do at baseline. But, you know, I, th- I think there's going to be a lot of, uh, a lot of thought and a lot of people who are, who are obviously deeply concerned about uh, the next uh, one or two years of their finances. Yeah, so let me give you a case study here for a minute, and you can tell me your thoughts. So over the weekend, David Price, who the Los Angeles Dodgers acquired as a pitcher from the Boston Red Sox, decided that he's going to sit out the rest of the Major League Baseball season, or just the Major League Baseball season. A number of players have decided not to play. So David Price is owed about $11 million from the Dodgers and the Red Sox, and it looks like, you know, because of – his own safety and his family's safety, he's walking away from the $11 million. Is there a way in the future that if an athlete decides, you know what, it's not safe for me to play, that they can cover themselves via a policy with you guys? I, I wouldn't have thought so. And one of the key reasons around that is because that's an element of choice. And um, if any financial decision is made uh, based on, on your decision rather than a governmental or federal decision, then it becomes difficult to justify why that athlete or a person might want to say, listen, I don't fancy it, and I don't fancy it for four other reasons. But um, So I, it will be a tricky one to look at the markets and say this is a way that we can cover it. So he may be waving goodbye to a large chunk of money there, but obviously it's his, uh, his view and where, where he feels uh, the safety of himself and his family sit. Um, I don't think a policy would, would exist that would allow him to then collect on that. Um, if, you know, as the traditional things around injury or the fact that he couldn't do it, that would be a different matter altogether. So there are certain things that uh, the underwriting world and the world of finance can, can provide. But I think if it's an element of choice, it's difficult then to, to look at uh, being able to underwrite that. This is a very general question, but how hard is it to underwrite something? Is it something that it's got to be just, you know, 100% solid or, um, with the pandemic being what it is right now, is it going to be harder and harder to get things underwritten in the future? It's going to be harder to get things underwritten in the future around pandemic and around cancellation of events. That's without doubt. And that's why baseline is going to have a competitive advantage because we understand the world of sport um, and we understand you know, the, the world of finance and the probability. So there's a key aspect around underwriting anything, and that is the statistical analysis around the probability of something happening. So now we have a much greater probability of another pandemic or the pandemic having a, a second spike. We, we start to play with those statistics. And as the months go on and, and it doesn't happen, obviously that diminishes and becomes cheaper to underwrite or insure that. But with all insurance and with all underwritten elements of it, if you have more statistical analysis, the better. You know, in the, in the global world of insurance and underwriting, away from the world of sport, how many times a hurricane hits or how many times a, 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 a building or a car gets uh, you know, damaged or whatever is, is statistically worked out. In sport, you can do a similar thing to a certain extent. How many times has that athlete won uh, or an athlete won all the Grand Slams or you know, in tennis or they've won the league or they won a, the championship? You, know, you can work it out. You can work on a statistical basis how many home runs they've had, etc., and you can then uh, work out a, a, a chance of probability. And with a chance of probability, you can then have an ability to set a price against that or a percentage against that. So things are all based on the opposite way that we had all you know, 
us all going about our business in an optimistic and we hope things are going to get better. If you turn your mind the other way around, an underwriter thinks in, in the, the opposite way, I, what is the worst thing that can happen? And when those two worlds collide, eventually you get a statistical uh, uh, price against uh, something happening. So pandemic insurance certainly will be tough, but there will be uh, an ability to do so. And I think uh, the, the insurance market and the underwriting world is certainly going to be paying out a lot across, across the global economy, never mind the sporting world. Um, but the way to get out of that is to actually encourage more policies being taken out to make sure that they can, they can build their business up themselves. So we have to play into the understanding of how their market works as well so that we can find things that are going to work well for our athletes and our teams and our sports. So, Patty, again, I know you can't reveal your clients, but people who work in sports listen to this show. Should player agents, should event organizers, should broadcast companies, should – team governors? Are these the types of people that should be reaching out to you uh, to learn more about your services? Yes, in short, and, and they are. I mean, I think if you look at an agent, you want to protect the income of, that's, that's your job as an agent, isn't it? To protect the income and the interests of the athlete you, you represent. And that's exactly why they should be talking now. If, if they're not already talking, I think most people understand that virtually every contract in sport at the moment, whether it's with a broadcaster, a sponsor, Federation, you know, anything to do with their stadium rights, whatever it may be, they are all under question at the moment because they're either being renegotiated, they have been renegotiated, or they're looking to to see where the value is. So all that's on the table. And when that's all on the table, where a baseline comes in best is if we're ahead of the contract, i.e. we're part of that conversation, rather than what has traditionally been the case when sport meets insurance is there's an issue, there's a problem, or there's a liability that's been made aware of, um, and it's like buying an umbrella after it started raining. You know, the best way to work it is actually to preempt it, figure out where the, the opportunities are, and that's when we can do the best work. So we're in this position at the moment where sport is starting to trickle back. Formula One season came back there in motor racing. We've got a number of different sports closing out a few leagues here at soccer in, in, in the UK, and we've seen other sports come back. Uh, but actually now is the time for those conversations when we start getting crowds back in the stadium, if, we, you know, if and when we do, and how other revenues are going to be affected. Now is to have those, uh, the time to have those conversations to protect yourself for, for next season. I'm seeing the NBA restart in Orlando, or at least they've announced it. There's a number of positive COVID tests from NBA players. Uh, reports are that the NBA is paying $150 million for the bubble at Disney World in Orlando. If the NBA had come to you and said, we're paying $150 million to restart in Orlando, but we may have to shut down, could they have taken out a policy on that $150 million? They, they possibly could. It would be how it was structured and, and where the loss of, uh, of income would be exactly. Obviously, if they paid that amount straight up front, that's their liability. And that's the first thing you need to expose whenever you're looking at underwriting uh, any sort of policy. What is the liability? Where's, where's the loss of income or where's the opportunity to through a bonus? I think there could have been a, a number of different uh, products and services that we could have offered. Um, in and around, uh, you know, the, the, the curtailment of it. Um, if there's, you know, there's a good chance, I think, if it starts, can it can it conclude? That's a, that's a big question at the moment. So people would say, right, okay, we're starting. That's great. Right. But if we get to eight eight games out of at sixteen, for sake of argument, 
Um, after that eight or nine, and then there's a cancellation. You know, is that disaster? Well, that's where you have the conversation. That's where baseline would investigate in the markets about, well, where is the loss of income there? Can what is the? And it's not just covering the whole amount. It's about covering the amount that uh, you know. If your sponsors are providing, and your airtime gives you, you know, after eight games, you're you're kind of sixty to seventy percent towards breaking even on that on that run through you know it's all those metrics and all those statistics that we'll take and we'll put forward to protect, first of all to protect the businesses you know we're not, we look at hyper bonuses as a way of extending the value of someone when they really achieve great things or they overachieve but when you look at uh, pandemic or uh, league insurance it's making sure that the worst case scenario doesn't happen and the league can, and that in case is the league can't survive or the sport can't go on um, and that's where that's your that's the baseline. Excuse the the pun there, but uh, when what we do is then we work forward from that point to make sure that uh, the, the the business of the sport can continue. I want to go back to a term you've mentioned a few times during this conversation: hyper bonuses. I think I understand what it is, but can you explain what that is to our listeners? And do you have an example of? Someone who has received a hyper bonus or an event that was able to offer one, so it, it kind of propelled them into a, a more positive stratosphere. Well, let, let me uh, let me go through uh, history a little bit and say what one of the reasons why we came up with it with the, with the term and with also some of the policies. It's not necessarily new within underwriting insurance, but what is new is the sport expertise that we bring in at the early stages. So when we look at uh, an, uh, a long time ago, uh, uh, Djokovic was uh, being sponsored by uh, an Italian brand, Sergio Taccini, and they promised him X pounds, X number of dollars for every time he won a tournament. Now, everyone knew he was going to be good. They just didn't expect him to be that good. And actually, they put a huge pressure on that business when he started to win tournament after tournament after slam. And his millions became tens of millions, um, and uh, it nearly broke the company. In fact, there's, you know, there's uh, some suggestion that it was sold on because of the, the inherent amount that they had to pay out on their, on their sponsorships. Now, certain big companies like the Nikes of this world don't necessarily need to worry that, about that until recently. But what we've worked on is, is looking at the idea that when you come to putting a contract together, there's an opportunity, especially if you're a challenger brand or a challenger sponsor or trying to reach the next level up it's not necessarily for the big champions of this world. It's for the guys that are, you know, if you use tennis again as an example, in the top top 50, but might be in the top 10. You know, if they get to the top 10, could there be a more significant uh, bonus for them? Uh, they, they are all heavily bonus to do that in the first place. Or if they win the league, or if they win the championship, or they qualify for the next round of of, of whatever level, whatever sport it happens to be that we're talking about. When you're looking at a challenger athlete with a challenger brand, you can get much better value. So you could offer a million-dollar bonus for achieving a top-10 uh, place, for example, but it could only cost the brand 75000 or $100,000 hmm. if that player has never been in the top-10 before. It's, a, it's, a, it's an age-old process, but what, it, what we're doing is drawing it back much more towards when the contract's put in place. So a, a value of a contract can go up into millions of dollars quite quickly. So if you're a challenger brand, and this is when we this is before pre-COVID, we were talking about, you know, it had a lot of resonance and a lot of uh, a lot of uh, chances that we've been able to put it into the market. Uh, where we are today, 
even those big are, are looking at their bottom line saying, okay, we need to make sure we need to mitigate our risk, but we also need to attract the best possible talent. So how are we going to marry those two together? And that's where the hyper bonus comes in. And it works across, you know, if you think of it in any sport, every sport, there's an opportunity to put in a hyper bonus, whether you're a brand, a sponsor, or even doing it across the whole team. You know, if you look at it and you've never won the championship before, as a team, and you're saying, right, if we do that, we can get really good value for that. We can bonus the team a whole $10 million if, if we do that. And we can underwrite that. And we can promise it. And we can motivate the athletes. Um, and we can also mitigate our risks. So if it happens, we're not going to be – the cost of success sometimes is greater than the value of that success, certainly in the, in the immediate terms. Often it's, it takes a few years when you have success to really reap the benefits of it financially as a business. But uh, with a hyper bonus, it means it flatlines that cost. Patty, you don't have to name the client, and this is my final question for you, but what would you say is one of the more creative contracts that you've written so far, whether it's an event for a player, uh, an entity, a brand? Is there one that comes to mind where you're like, wow, we really had to put our thinking cap on for that one, but at the end of the day, it was brilliant? Yeah, I think there's a number of them and across lots of different sports. But um, I think uh, there's there's been a, a number of occasions where we've really stretched into the world of marketing as well as the world of broadcast, as well as the world of uh, um, athlete uh, motivation. And whenever we were able to look at a, a, a scoring uh, aspect, the world of cricket is a, is a funny world. I'm an Irishman, so cricket isn't a big one for you and I'm sure for your American audience. They're going cricket what? Wait a minute. It's hold a on. With a name video. like Patty O'Cleary, you're an Irishman? I would have never guessed. <laughs> no, you wouldn't. You wouldn't. <laughs> it's true. It's true. But um, the, the idea around how you could uh, engage with the audience, or the, the crowd at an event, uh, where the batsman is going to hit six sixes out of the out of the uh, park, you know, and it's that, that, that's like the, you get six balls delivered every over in cricket. And... Um, what we were able to do was underwrite a top-line prize for people in the audience with a predefined uh, ticket, ticket with the, when it was going to happen and how it was going to happen, but also the athlete because it was a quick-fire tournament to try and swing that bat and make that happen. And every time it got close to, you know, he's on the fourth or the fifth, sixth, the uh, TV would switch over to the fact that this was going to be a large bonus uh, attached to uh, potentially someone in the crowd but also to the batsman himself. Uh, to actually uh, hit that. And so you just knew he's going to swing the bat because this has all been put in place. So it's when all those three things come together, you've got the audience, you've got the batsman, and you've got the sponsor, you know, the athlete rather, and the, and the sponsor all come together. That's really when it starts to buzz and you feel that you've done something special. Uh, but really, I think what you, you think about what baseline is all about, it's under the hood, a lot of the stuff that we're doing. You know, it's stuff that maybe not make a lot of headlines, but will actually make people uh, a lot more safe about their income in the world of sport. We'll make sure the brands can actually keep working and take the risk out of what they're doing within the world of sport and keep investing in it because that's going to be hugely important in the coming years. Uh, we all understand the pressures that are, are around the corner. So um, although there have been lovely highlights and, and working with athletes who then have achieved the bonuses that we've set up sometimes within weeks of setting something up for a whole season. We've had that as well, where the athlete's gone out, a, a golfer's gone out and, uh, and won his whole year's bonus in, in a weekend and a half. You know, so there's great things like that happen. But 
Um, it, it's really knowing that we're doing and putting in the solid foundations uh, around contracts that mitigate risk and make sure that they uh, safeguard the future of the sport. That uh, gives me the most pleasure anyway. Patty O'Cleary, the CEO for Baseline Performance Finance. You can find them online at baseline-performance.com. You can follow Patty on Twitter at Patty O'Cleary. Patty, I'd love to have you on again in the future. This is such a fluid, fast-moving space right now. And, uh, boy, you guys are going to be busy. We are indeed. Thank you very much for the time, Brian. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Nearly 20 years ago, Boingo dreamed of a world where people could connect to the wireless internet anywhere with any device. Today, that dream is reality, and Boingo has been at the forefront. Now more than ever, staying connected is what matters most. Boingo keeps people connected to the people and things they love with next-generation networks built for the 5G era. They are the largest operator of indoor wireless networks in the U.S., and they work with sports teams across the NFL, NBA, MLS, NCAA, and more. From 5G and CBRS to DAZ and Wi-Fi, Boingo is a trusted partner for staying connected now and in the future. Our thanks to Boingo for their continued support of Sports Business Radio. Connectivity is more important than ever, and you can learn more by visiting boingo.com or emailing sbradio at boingo.com. That's sbradio at boingo.com. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our show staff, Brian Griggs and Josh Blank. Thanks to our friends from Boingo Wireless, CBDMD, and Mizzen in Maine. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. This and every SBR podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and your favorite listening app. Follow Sports Business Radio on Facebook, Twitter at SB Radio, Instagram at Sports Business Radio, and online at SportsBusinessRadio.com. Sports Business Radio is produced by Brian Griggs and Griggs Productions. GriggsProductions.com.